นโมทัสสะกุตุอะระหะตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกุตุอะระหะตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกุตุอะระหะตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดมังสังขังนมัสสะเราคิดว่าวันนี้เราควรจะคิดถึงแล้วก็ประสบความสำเร็จในการสร้างคุณสมบัติของพระสงฆ์สมมติของการฝึกฝนและประสิทธิภาพที่ผู้ชมทุกคน Place on this is the benefit that accrues to us personally when we mm-hmm. behave and act in ways that accord with uh, uh, integrity. And however, this evening I'd like to begin with considering what a significant. Offering it is to the world that we live in to live a life committed to cultivating impeccability. You don't have to look very far to see the sadly blatant examples of dishonesty and. Tolerance of uh, casual lying uh, or gross lying that, that there is around now, and of course, the, as you'd all be aware, the uh, function of technology to amplify the consequences of our activity means that uh, everything gets broadcast, uh, spread around, and. So, if we, or when we put effort into cultivating impeccability, this is not insignificant. It's it's an offering of a, another perspective on what this human existence can be like. If everybody thinks that it's okay to be dishonest. Never sees an example of an alternative. That's really unfortunate. So I think, in considering the commitment we have to cultivating impeccability, we can encourage ourselves in seeing that this is not just for our own benefit. Other people notice just small things like. The other day, the the builders that we have on site here at the moment were commenting on on how you guys obviously like bugs, and I had to stop and think, well, what is he referring to? I think we like bugs, and then it turned out that it's because they notice we don't go killing insects that that means they think we like bugs. And in conversation with these fellows, it, it was evident that. 
it made them stop and think. And, and this is really relevant in, in terms of offering something that helps. There's so much around that is unhelpful and in fact creates hindrances for people that to find ways of encouraging ourselves to be even more impeccable and to more consistent in our commitment to cultivating precepts is a good thing. And in this process we, we learn to hopefully purify the kind of effort that we're making. So in a commitment, with a commitment to this kind of cultivation, it does mean that we, we need to be willing to not compromise, to know where the boundaries are. Within these boundaries is okay. These are the boundaries that we don't cross. And to know this, to be clear about this. And, and then we find ourselves in situations where maybe somebody's trying to encourage us to cross some boundaries and if we are quite clear about our commitment and why we're committed to this kind of cultivation, it makes it much easier. And you, you know, sometimes you come across merchants or, or contractors who offer you a, a cheaper deal. You, you pay cash and then there's no VAT involved and, and so it'll be better for everybody, won't it? Well, they might think it's better for everybody because they're not seeing past a very superficial level. That being quick to compromise uh, integrity does have consequences and in this effort to purify our precepts we want to be aware of that. There are consequences. Every time we compromise in that sort of way then it registers and they may not realize that by compromising uh, honesty they actually one of the immediate results is a loss of self-respect just as if we would look down on somebody who we knew was being dishonest so said they were going to do one thing and then did something else we wouldn't respect them we wouldn't trust them and uh, so it is that we look down on ourselves, we lose self-confidence, we lose inner clarity, mm. we obstruct contentment. And this, what seems like sometimes an all-pervasive tolerance of dishonesty in our society these days, is like a kind of, it occurs to me, it's like a kind of virus that's eating away at the, the sense of well-being. Mm. I was talking to a psychiatrist recently who was visiting and I, I commented how I thought for many people they didn't really need medication. You know, what they needed was to upgrade their precepts. And if you a little stealing here and a little lying there and just killing a few bugs here and there and a few critters here and there that we don't happen to want around and thinking that it doesn't matter... Well, we only think it doesn't matter because we haven't really considered it. To kill another living being means we have to close our hearts. 
We have to stop feeling empathetic. We have to become closed in our relationship to that being and ignore the fact that no being wants to suffer. And we close our hearts until it becomes habitual. Everybody else does it, why shouldn't we? Well, that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily wise. I gave the example the other day of kitchen cleanup routine where we have a very competent kitchen manager here these days and he insists on a very high level of hygiene in our kitchen and that's good. We can compromise on hygiene and think, well, it's okay to have a certain amount of cockroaches running around and certain density of spores floating around in the fridge and but there are consequences you probably know one of the main reasons for stomach upsets in restaurants is reheated rice that has not been properly stored or properly prepared you're going to reheat the rice you've got to store it at a certain temperature and reheat it at a certain temperature otherwise it breeds bacteria and very easily leads to stomach upsets there are consequences well, the other example that I, I mentioned was you know, the road code. And it doesn't matter what we like, what our preferences are. If you live in this country, the dealers, you drive on the left-hand side of the road and you come to a roundabout and you stop and you wait for those cars to go before you enter the roundabout. And you know, One of the reasons why I mentioned that example is because we did have a guest who came here for a while from wasn't from this country, from the continent, I'm not going to mention any names, but <laughs> his view was, well, these rules are just man-made and, you know, we just I'll just keep them to the degree that suits me. And he used to pretty well park without thinking very much whether he was allowed to or not and drive in a way that was really irresponsible, really. And needless to say, his relationship with this place didn't last very long. Not that we threw him out, but you know, he didn't seem to be very comfortable with our commitment to training and there are consequences you say well I don't like driving on the left hand side of the road I like driving on the right well just because our preferences are one way doesn't mean to say that we should follow them and lying in the sun can feel very good but also it's a good recipe for for getting uh, skin cancer just because it frustrates our preferences to keep the precepts just because it doesn't accord with what feels good doesn't mean to say it isn't good. So it takes, it takes a certain degree of wisdom to be able to see this and I'm fortunate that we have the Buddha's wisdom to encourage us to contemplate skillfully in our relationship to the precepts. We're not talking here about what we look like to other people, our social standing improves because we're, we've got better precepts or you know, that's not the goal of training and precepts. Yeah. Or feeling superior, that's not the goal in training and precepts. If there's a ability to reflect wisely then there's the possibility that we'll see both sides 
of an activity. When there's attachment to preferences, we tend to just see the side that suits me. Like, what I lose, like giving up drinking alcohol. I, I find it very inspiring. Quite a number of people have shared with me how they reached the point in their practice where drinking alcohol just became pointless, which is obviously pointless. And even though other people, including a lot of Buddhists, feel, oh, you don't want to be too fussy about these things, a little drink here and there, doesn't matter. They reach the point where they feel, oh, no, it does matter. It, it matters. And they quite naturally made the decision and they wanted to be impeccably committed to the five precepts, which meant no drinking alcohol at all. And there was real benefit in that. It wasn't difficult. No regrets. Uh, the people that come to my mind right now, I think they're just really happy people. And, uh, now, it's true that they lost, in the process of making that decision, they lost the feeling of being one of the guys, uh, one of the girls and then the party. And then all four of these people were in uh, quite prominent positions and and in social situations where drinking was what happened, but but all of them each in their own way in their own time um, set a boundary and said, no, that's, I'm not doing that anymore and realised that really it's a con. It costs a huge amount of money. You get a cheap hit and there's terrible consequences afterwards. And this became pointless. And so regardless of the amount of pressure that other people might put on them, no, they don't take alcohol and... So yes, from the perspective of preferences, they ceased being one of the boys or one of the girls and uh, not one of the club anymore. But what they gained was this inner sense of clarity. They'd go to a social gathering and wake up in the morning feeling fine. And also didn't spend a lot of money. And also, what several of them have found is how in these social situations... They're approached by other people who say, how do you do this? Because I really wish I could stop drinking. Can you tell me how you did it? And they've got something to give. So it's not necessarily, hopefully, a conceited sense of superiority, but there is a quiet sense of confidence comes with setting a boundary and keeping to it. So in the process of purifying our precepts, We want to be conscious of this. We want to notice this benefit. Or if it does happen that we end up compromising and not keeping to that which we've committed ourselves to, how does that feel? Not to be in a hurry to overcome it. Hopefully not to be in a hurry to get all self-judgmental and self-critical give ourselves an excessively hard time, but really feel the feeling. And when we say we're going to do something and we don't do it, how does that feel? Well, this is where we learn from, from nature, the observing the natural mind. We don't have to read a lot of books about ethics or morality or sophisticated interpretations of what the Buddha said about sila. Do you really have to stop drinking completely? What did the book say about it? Well, we only need a certain amount of information and then we 
can benefit from learning from experience. How does it feel in our hearts and minds when we make a commitment to impeccability but we compromise it? How does it feel when we get too rigid, holding too tightly and filling ourselves up with fear and anxiety? Oh, I accidentally squashed a snail this morning as I walked out on the path. It happens sometimes. I go to feed the birds in the morning and this snail happens to have walked out onto the, the path out there and oops, there's a, a snail. I didn't mean to. Does that mean I broke my precepts? Do I have to feel really bad about that? Well, it does mean that I should be more careful and look where I'm walking. But that's not the same thing as setting out to intentionally kill a living being. That's a good lesson. And therein lies one of the main lessons of establishing a conscious commitment to training precepts is we naturally become more aware of our intention. What was my intention in that action of body? What was my intention in that action of speech? There's a story in the scriptures of where the Venerable Ananda is speaking with the Buddha and asks about the benefits of training and moral precepts and the Buddha's reply is is, frees the heart from remorse. And that's also something we don't want to just file away intellectually and use as an intellectual argument to try and convince ourselves or others why we should commit impeccably to training in the precepts, but to feel it. Probably most of us in meditation at some stage have had to endure memories of how we conducted ourselves in the past, and and then remorse comes up. And I certainly can think about why I treated my parents at a certain stage of adolescence already really not beautiful and really not beautiful and when that remorse arises that's actually that's a message that's like the Dhamma teaching us there's the cause there's the effect actually you're supposed to feel remorse if we don't feel remorse that's that's really a problem if we haven't had a good enough education in these matters, then we can numb ourselves out and stop listening to the messages, like, for instance, the natural sense of remorse that arises when we remember having acted heedlessly. Mm. That feeling of remorse is there to teach us, just the same as if we we're walking along bare feet and we kick the door frame. We injure our foot. That pain, we understand that as a, as a message. Say, pay attention. You know, something just went wrong here. We've got to have a look and check to see. You so, all right, there's a wound. We've got to clean it up and protect it from infection. That's the pain as a message. And on the heart level, it's much the same. The remorse that comes when we reflect on unskillful actions of body speech, that remorse is there to say, we need to be more careful. 
Or maybe we need to do, make amends. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness or set something right. So training in precepts, although it may not accord with our preferences, does lead to increased well-being. Leads to a natural increased sense of self-respect and self-confidence. An increased capacity for tolerating uncertainty. If you have a good friend who is really trustworthy and you want to share something personal, something painful, something you wouldn't just share with anybody, but because you trust this friend, you don't know how they're going to react, but you trust them. And so you feel you can open up and share something with them. Trust is precious. But trust is cultivated. And trust can be damaged or compromised. Similarly, with regards to our own hearts, our own minds, whether anybody else knows about what we do or doesn't know what we do, we know. And if we know that we're trustworthy, well, then our own hearts or minds, we can be very open or more open, more open to not knowing, not feeling sure. In many situations we find ourselves in life and we're just not sure how to act, what to do. Can we tolerate ambiguity? Can we tolerate uncertainty? If we have a trusting relationship with our own heart and mind, well, there's a better chance we will be able to tolerate uncertainty. tolerate feeling not sure and the degree to which we're committed to impeccability corresponds to how much we can tolerate uncertainty if we're only sort of committed to the precepts as I was saying a little lying here a little cheating there a little stealing well maybe we only have a low grade capacity for being able to tolerate uncertainty and then the mind defaults to taking a fixed position. It doesn't take a lot of investigation to realise that that's not the path of spiritual practice. Clinging to fixed positions is uh, always creating obstructions. Holding to positions mindfully, skillfully, sensitively, carefully can be, of course, perfectly functional. But defaulting to clinging to a fixed position because we can't tolerate the fear of uncertainty is probably not going to be productive. Now, talking about impeccability and, and commitment and this sort of language sometimes sounds like, oh, this is a bit unreasonable, really. You've got to, don't want to get too carried away with this, you get too uptight. And they well, our habits of heedlessness are not reasonable, are they? You get caught up in anger, hatred. Get caught up in anxiety. You know, how many times have we been caught up in worry and anxiety about something 
only to find out that it was completely 100% waste of time. Why do I always get caught up defending myself and arguing? Somebody contradicts me and then I get pulled into arguing and promoting and defending myself. Why do I always do that? Why can't I stop following that unfortunate, heedless habit? It's unreasonable. It doesn't serve well-being. A lot of our habits are thoroughly unreasonable. And that's a good enough reason to commit to training with an unreasonable degree of commitment. Sometimes you think, oh, it's just a little drink, a little lie, and it doesn't make any difference. But if, as I was suggesting before, in the society we live in, that's the norm where people think little moments of dishonesty don't matter. Let's reflect on image the Buddha suggested about how drop by drop the water barrel becomes filled. Hmm. It's not suddenly a gush of water fills the water barrel necessarily. You just drip by drip. Little moments do matter. And if in the process of contemplating our training the precepts we we come across tendencies to get overly pleased with ourselves because you know we're doing better than other people and people around us are lying, stealing, cheating, compromising and and we have the perception that we're not, we start getting puffed up and and proud. That's also part of it. That's also part of training. If we just default to getting judgmental and saying it shouldn't be this way, I should know better by now, well, it's more of the same thing, really. Pulled into taking a position. But if we remember our refuge in awareness itself, remember our refuge in the Buddha, expand, open, receive, what does it feel like when we catch ourselves being conceited? What it really, what does it feel like? When we really feel that feeling, well, there's a much better chance that letting go will happen. If we just go up to our heads and imagine ourselves not being conceited and, and then struggling to adopt some strategy so as people won't think that we're conceited, well, that's tying the, the knot tighter. Well, perhaps in our effort to pay attention to cultivating precepts, we, we come across uh, obsessive guilt. Uh, the smallest little fault uh, we fall into and we come crashing down on ourselves like a ton of bricks, condemning ourselves to hell for eternity. Well, that's a really unfortunate story that somebody told us, yeah need to be alert to that it's actually sadly very normal for many people even if they weren't necessarily brought up in a particularly strict religious environment the culture we all live in and Judeo-Christian culture does tend to have a lot of, of guilt and shaming 
encoded in it. And so whatever the causes are, that's not really the point. The point is, what can we do about it if we come across it? We've got to be extremely kind. If somebody taught us that we are virtuous by condemning ourselves for having made a mistake, then they were lying to us. What the Buddha taught, never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. Hating ourselves, thinking that that's virtuous, it's it's just like putting salt on the wound. It makes it even more painful. It doesn't help. Kindness helps. Accepting ourselves helps. And resolutely determining, just as we're resolutely determined to keep the precepts, we can also resolutely determine to be forgiving of ourselves. Well, all the mistakes we might have made in the past and the mistakes that we might make in the future and try as hard as we can to avoid compromising. But if we do make mistakes, the commitment is, how can we learn from this? accept full responsibility for it and determine to learn from it. Getting interested again. Getting really interested. So in the Buddha's teachings is encouragement to cultivate the precepts. It's not about becoming proud. It's not about thinking we're better than anybody else. It's about protecting inner clarity establishing a natural sense of inner confidence that means that we can meet life, whatever interesting experience life might have in store for us will be in the optimum position to learn from it. We certainly can't be sure what lies around the corner, but what we can do is prepare ourselves to meet it this commitment to cultivating impeccability, being unreasonably committed to impeccability. It is a gift that we can offer the world. It's also a skillful way of supporting our own commitment to spiritual practice. And thank you very much this evening for your attention.